0: Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. I mentioned earlier about praying through the Bible, and I hope that you are doing that. And uh, not to call you out one way or the other, but if if you have, I hope that that's been beneficial for you. And just kind of anyone nod their head if you have been praying through the Bible with me. Okay, and a lot of not nod heads, nodded heads. Naughty heads, but not nodded heads. Okay, now listen, even through the end of the month, you still can't. And you can do this as a practice in your life, just um, in general, but the idea is to pray God's truth. And he says he'll give us the desires of our heart, but a part of that is Uh, knowing God, knowing his word, knowing his will, and then having our prayers line up according to his will, which is going to happen if we're praying truth, if we're praying the scripture. And so what we've been doing is going through Psalms, like I said, and uh, you could start now. We we just use July because there's 31 days, and if we split 150 Psalms by five, and we picked one out of five every day, we would pray through the book of Psalms, okay? We would get through 150 and 30 days with a, a day of grace, and I actually started a little bit early, uh, a couple of days early. So I had a, uh, so I'm maybe a little bit ahead. But you could still start tomorrow, and the idea is just to make sure that we're praying the scripture and using the scripture as a guide. Sometimes, very literal. You pray through the psalm, and it is specifically your heart and and very personal to you, and sometimes it can just make you think of other things, and that's great, too. Uh, The idea of the prayer time isn't to be your Bible study time, because on Bible study time, we want to make sure that we're understanding it properly, understanding the context of of the first hearer uh, of the Word of God and and dividing it correctly and properly. Uh, But in the prayer time, we just want to make sure that we're using it as a guide to enable our prayers or to help our prayers. And so sometimes you could read something that isn't necessarily about the specific text, but the Lord pops something in your mind to pray for someone else. It's great. Either way, I just want you to be praying through the word of God. Well, today we're we're gonna move into some of the things about the word of God. We started this series about praying through the Bible because ultimately the question we're asking, what does the Bible say about, and then you're helping me fill in that blank. You're asking the question. So uh, I, I asked you, send me some questions, either message or text or, or write them down and put them in our offering basket as you leave. There's multi, uh, a multitude of ways for you to get that information to me or that question to me. And so I got this email, all right? This came via email uh, about what does the Bible say about. My question for what does the Bible say about is, what is the veil? What was behind the veil? What does it mean the veil was torn or went rent? Okay, Not rent as in rented out, but ripped is what that word means. And that's really a fun question or questions to start uh, this series in relationship to what does the Bible say about. Because the Old Testament is fulfilled in so many ways in the New Testament, and the veil plays a very significant role. In fact, there's a, a worship song that we don't, sing corporately because of a line about the veil that I, I think is on shaky theology, uh, and, and so we don't sing that one, which is just something to think through. We, we want to make sure that we're honoring God with what we sing, and, and we're very careful with that, but uh, the veil plays this major role in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, and so I'm excited to jump into this question today, and, and uh, to do that, I uh, I'm gonna ask you maybe to be a little bit more academic in, in our approach. And I want us to look at some very specific things. And there's a lot of scripture we're gonna read specifically at the end that's gonna help tie it together. But first, I wanna look at the pattern of the veil. Okay, this is very important, just to make sure we're all on the same page. When I say veil, we're not talking about a, a, a bride on her wedding day and that type of veil or a burqa. we're not talking about a veil that would cover a face. The veil... That we're referring to is seen in, in a couple of ways. One in the tabernacle, and one in the temple, and, and that veil would separate in both instances the holy place from the holy of holies, or the most holy place to the most, or the holy of holies. Okay, and so there's this, there's uh, the, uh, um, this separation between these two areas. Most Holy Place and the Holy of Holies. Now, this veil in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent that moved around. Okay, when in Moses' time, as they were uh, going through the wilderness, waiting to enter into the Promised Land. The presence of God was with them, but God said, I'm going to manifest my presence in a special way, and it's going to be in this room called the Holy of Holies, specifically through the Ark of the Covenant, which we'll talk about. But it traveled. It was easily set up, taken down, and moved. And they would be led by a pillar of fire a fire and a cloud that would cover them, and the Lord would move them through the wilderness when it was time to move. The tabernacle would go, but that veil was always set up to separate the two Areas, the most holy place in the Holy of Holies. Then in the temple days, when David said, why, is, uh, why am I in this nice, uh, huge mansion, so to speak, and, and God's not in anything but a tent? I wanna build him a permanent structure says, I want a temple. Well, God says, I'm going to give you the plans and I'm going to give you the wisdom, but you're not going to be the one that builds it. Your son Solomon's going to build the temple. And so uh, David makes all the preparations for the temple, but then Solomon ends up building the temple, but there was this veil, this curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Now, I want to look at this pattern that's on it. In Exodus chapter 25, if you have your Bible, we get to look at at some of the design. I don't think we get to understand completely exactly how it looks like, but we get to see a little bit of what it looked like. We get to see some of the pattern of what it looked like, of the design. So in Exodus chapter 25, God is going to give Moses very specific instructions in how to build the tabernacle. Now if we start a little bit earlier, in Exodus 25 verse 8, This is what God says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. And so God says, you're going to build this exactly how I tell you. And I'm going to describe to you the materials that you need, how to build certain aspects of it, and, and then he goes through a lot of that and then he gets to the veil. So I want you to skip to Exodus chapter 26 since that's what our question is about. Exodus 26 verse 31. For the inside of the tabernacle, okay, this is the, the dwelling that would travel around, make a special curtain. Some of your translations will say veil. Okay, that's what it's referring to. So make a special curtain of finely woven linen, decorate it with blue, purple, and scarlet thread and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. Hang this curtain on gold hooks attached to four posts of acacia wood, Overlay the posts with gold and set them in four silver bases. Hang the inner curtain from clasp and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. This curtain veil will separate the holy place from the most holy place or the Holy of Holies. Now, what we see is that this veil was considered special. It's made of this finely woven linen, there's these beautiful colors that are uh, woven into. Now, the linen itself was probably a, a pure white, but it was decorated with, very, uh, with three very specific colors. Now, these colors uh, are often used to symbolize certain things. I think some of those times it's a reach and it's speculation what people will attribute these colors to. Well, uh, these colors mean this and that. I think sometimes people are just trying to turn this into something more, but most often those colors represented royalty, luxury, divinity, okay but so we see these colors but we also get to see some of the design in the veil i think this is important right i think this is more important maybe even than the specific colors but in 31 it says was skillfully embroidered cherubim okay there were some figures of angels that were embroidered onto the veil itself now a cherubim it, it, that's plural those are winged angels who serve god okay they they're, they're uh, function is primarily as guards. That's what we see in Scripture. I think this is an important detail because on the veil, it, it was a, it was to guard sinful man, okay, from the presence of a holy God, the one true God, who is holy, holy, holy. And so that veil had these cherubims, these winged angels, who who functioned primarily as guards. They were pictured. I think as a sign to say, hey, hang on now. Okay, They guard the presence of God, and you are not holy enough to enter. And so they protected the person from God's presence. You can come this far, but don't come any further. They were a constant reminder that access to God at this moment was forbidden. Okay, Only select few at a select time, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but you couldn't just nonchalantly enter into the presence of God without dying. And so these winged angels were a a symbol of, hey, hang on now, you better watch yourself. If you go past here, what you're inviting upon yourself is judgment and death. They reminded a sinful people, a holy God is manifested right behind this veil, right behind this curtain, come no further. If you do Warnings on you. You better look out. Now, can you think of another time that these angels were used to announce uh, or or to protect the sinfulness of man from entering into the presence of God? I, I go back and think, what are you thinking, Jacob? Dude, give this guy a cookie. Okay, that's exactly right, Jacob. Perfect. Okay, so... That, uh, let's just look at it. Genesis 3, this is Adam and Eve. They've been kicked out of the Garden of Eden, exactly what Jacob is saying. Genesis three twenty two. then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil, I think this us that we see in Genesis 2 is a reflection of the Trinity. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? They will live forever. And that wouldn't be a good thing in a fallen state. That was my own commentary. Verse 23. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, Look at this. The Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So here's the same idea. These winged angels kept mankind from eating the tree of life in a fallen state, not in a redemptive state, but in a fallen, sinful state. And so here on the veil, these cherubim Let us know it would not be wise to enter into the presence of God in a fallen, sinful state. They were there really as an act of grace, just like I believe in the Garden of Eden. They were there to warn, but to preserve life, to preserve mankind. And so this imagery is very important in the pattern of the veil. Okay, We see these colors. We see uh, these cherubim. That's the pattern, very special veil and curtain made with a purpose. But not only the pattern is important, but look at the position of the veil. This is vital. We see the pattern of it, the position, just like I mentioned, is, is this barrier between the holy place and the most holy place, or the holy of holies, where the manifested presence of God would reside. Now, that's a good barrier. It's a barrier nonetheless But it's a helpful, good barrier. Verse 33, back in Exodus, hang the inner curtain from clasp and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. This curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. And just like the tabernacle, same in the temple. Ark of the Covenant to reside in the Holy of Holies. And so the position of this veil was to create this barrier with purpose, with forethought. We, we have to set up and tear down. We know about something that is movable, portable. Right? We've also had a, a structure that was more permanent. In both cases, what we see in the tabernacle on temple, this veil was placed with purpose. Right behind the veil in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was this chest that contained, at minimum, the Ten Commandments, which is pretty amazing to think about. The Ten Commandments... Being in, in this ark, okay, this chest, but the ark was even more special that it symbolized God's presence, and it needed its own spl- its own place because it represented God's manifested presence, His presence that is tangible in this, uh, in the holiness and the majesty of God in this one specific room. Now, God's everywhere; He He everywhere. That's our God. But his presence was something special and manifested in a very unique way in the holy of holies or the most holy place. And so this veil was a barrier, not just to keep out regular folks, but even the priest. Don't come in here because you can't. You're sinful. You're you're a son of Adam. You're a daughter of Eve. You have messed up. You cannot come into this presence in an unholy manner. If you do, you'll die. And so the position of the veil was on purpose to say no further. And not just common folk, even the priest. But once a year, on one special day called the Day of Atonement, God said, I want the high priest and only the high priest to enter into the Holy of Holies. And you can read about that in Leviticus 16. But this priest, the high priest, would offer a sacrifice for his, himself and his family and for the sins of the entire nation. Once a year, the Day of Atonement, the covering of sin... There's a scapegoat involved. There's this cleansing. There's this amazing forgiveness that takes place on this day. But only once a year can this high priest enter into the Holy of Holies. And he only got access through the blood of a sacrifice. That's the only way he could enter. Through the blood. Make sure you remember that. But if he went on any other occasion, it would cost him his life. And so this barrier was a barrier of protection, but it was also placed there out of grace. Now that's gonna lead us to a bigger topic. So we see the pattern of the veil, we see the position of the veil. I wanna look at the specific purpose of the veil. What we see in the Old Testament, God's glory is, is, is hid from man, okay? We're not allowed to be that close to God because of his holiness. God is... is repelled by our sin, and we are sinners. But in the New Testament, as Christ led his earthly ministry, the veil was still intact as Christ ministered on earth. But then something very significant happened. See, there had not been a sacrifice yet that had been met that would allow us unfettered access to God. But then something happened when Jesus died. I want you to see this with me. So if you have Luke, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, if you're Watching Facebook Live, listen, hopefully you got a copy of God's word with you or an app. Find Luke chapter 23, and then I wanna go over to Matthew 27, all right? And of course, if you are not quick enough with your fingers, we'll put it on the screen. Matthew, just kidding, Luke 23. This is when Christ died. Verse 44 By this time it was about noon, he's on the cross, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. And suddenly the curtain, or the veil, in the sanctuary of the temple was torn, or rend. Okay, it's the same thing. Down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with these words he breathed his last. So we see that the curtain, the veil, in the temple was torn. That's how Luke describes it. Now some people, some scholars, think that this is just symbolic in nature. But I I don't believe that because of what we see in Matthew. We see a little bit more detail in Matthew. So find Matthew chapter 27. I believe that the sacrifice has been met. The high priest could only enter into the most holy place, the holy of holies, through a sacrifice, through a blood. Well, now that the curtain has been torn, the ultimate sacrifice has been met. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, The curtain, the veil in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. So here in the New Testament, the tearing of the veil is the the revelation or the revealing of God's glory to man allowing us to have 24-7, 365 access. Okay, due to the death of Christ, the veil was torn, which was a supernatural act by God. I think that's why Matthew tells us that the tomb was torn from where? Top to bottom, that only God could do this, that God reached down and he tore the veil that was a separation between a sinful man and a holy God to say, now we have unfettered, we have free access to the God of the universe. No longer does there need to be a barrier. The ultimate sacrifice has been paid. And the veil also represents the body of Christ, that it was torn on our behalf. And I think God, as any Jewish father would do, at the dun, uh, would, who would have done at the death of his son, ripped his clothes in sadness and brokenness. And here he rips the temple to say, it is finished in essence, We now have access that we can receive the holiness of Christ based upon a faith, of course, in him. We have access. We can have direct fellowship with him. The holy of holies is open unto man through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Christ changed the veil from a wall to a way. That's what's amazing about the veil. It was a wall but now it's the way. And so I, I I think the Bible can explain it better than I can. So I, I wanna read a lengthy passage, Hebrews chapter nine. I'm gonna be reading out the New Living Translation, if that will uh, help you as you follow along. If you wanna read whatever translation you are normally read, that's fine. But on the screens, that's what we're gonna have, NLT. I wanna read this because it's gonna explain this for us perfectly. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, we don't. Some people think it was Paul, but... Uh, it's, it's iffy, to say the least. But what we see here is an incredible truth inspired by the Holy Spirit written on our behalf. Hebrews chapter nine, verse one, the first, that first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. Okay, that's what we've been talking about. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, a veil, and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. You're like, yeah, we get it. You already told us that. I got it. All right, verse six. Skip to six. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room. They were in the first room all the time, okay, as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place, the holy of holies, and only once a year. He always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. You say, you told me say that. Okay, yeah, reinforcement, guys, reinforcement. Verse nine. Actually, let's go to verse eight. I don't wanna skip this one. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. It wasn't freely open. There were strict requirements once a year the sacrifice of blood. Verse nine, this is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifice that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. Verse 11, so Christ has now become the high priest. Over all the good things that have come, he has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands. It is not part of this created world. Look at verse 12. This is key. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, once for all time, and secured a redemption for Sundays only, for a week. No, forever. He secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. Why? So we can worship him. For by the power of the eternal spirit, look at this, Christ offered himself to God as what? A perfect sacrifice for our sins. Perfect, sinless, unblemished. That was what was supposed to be offered. A lamb without defect or an animal with no problems. It was real easy to sacrifice. Well, there's the old cripple. Get that one. No, no problem. There was no sin on Jesus. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Verse 15, that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. By the way, we've all sinned. We all haven't kept the law perfectly. Christ died to set us free from those penalties because they are penalties. Now look at verse 23. Skip to 23. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals, for Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal every year. He had to ask for forgiveness of sins every year. There had to be a sacrifice. Verse 26, if that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin. How? By his own death as a sacrifice. Look at verse 27. Verse 27. If you're watching on Facebook right now, listen to this. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, he's done that, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Okay, there's so much here. (laughs) But... the main thing is that we see is that the blood of Jesus is what gives us this access to God. His body was torn. His sacrifice rendered God's judgment. God's judgment was placed upon him. It appeased the wrath of God. The veil was torn from top top to bottom, down the middle to allow us access to God. We have access through a perfect high priest sacrifice. And that's the game changer right there. It's not about your good deeds. It's not about your good work. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's all about what Jesus did. And it was, it was physically demonstrated for us from the veil saying, peace out. We don't need this anymore. You got access. And then the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And we don't need it. Because the Bible says that you are now a temple of the living God. And that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. So the old system has been done away with. A new covenant has been initiated through the sacrifice of Jesus. One more passage, Hebrews 10. Just skip over to the next page or pages or swipe. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Here's the application today. And so, dear brothers and sisters, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. Listen, woo! Can you let that sit for a second? You get to enter the Holy of Holies. You ain't no high priest. Maybe you are. The priesthood of the believer. The reason that you are a priest is because of the blood of Jesus. And First Peter talks about the priesthood of the believer. We're a royal priesthood, a chosen nation. Do you understand how amazing this is? And, and, and earth-shattering we have access into the holy holies to the manifested presence of God. But look why. Because of the blood of Jesus. Verse 20. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain. Excuse me? Did you see that? Through the curtain, through the veil into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God. You don't have to wait. You don't have to... Tiptoe, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another in acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. <coughs> 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 <clears throat> Sorry, that, that, that was kind of hard to kind of spit out. Let us not neglect our meeting. to, <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> And let us, my mom is looking at me like I really, you, are you calling 911 now? No, I'm just, it's effect. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. All right, let me wrap up quickly with some application. Very clearly, as a result of the torn veil, there are some very specific specific things God wants us to do. In that Hebrews 10 passage, it's very clear to us, because we have access to the Holy of Holies, because the veil was torn through the sacrifice of Jesus, God wants us to do this. Number one, draw near to him. Did you see what God said in verse 22? Let us go right into the presence of God. Draw near. Get close. There is no veil. Why, I know, listen, we're still sinful apart from Christ, and we still make mistakes, but if you, dear brother and sister in Christ, have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have been Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and you can boldly approach the throne of grace. That doesn't mean we do it arrogantly, we're still cautious and we're still humble, but we do it freely. We have access to God. 24-7-365. Get on your face before Him and do that confidently, knowing that He allows it. We don't have to watch the one person go in and, and see if everything plays out all right. You go. You go to God. You don't have to come to me and say, hey, will you go to God for me because I can't. I'll go to God with you, but you can go to God too. So draw near to him. Secondly, trust him. So verse 22 says, with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. You can trust him. Okay, draw near to him and then trust him. Jesus went to great lengths for you to be able to approach the father. Great lengths on your behalf. And so you can trust him. I read today in Romans that God demonstrated his love for us that he would die for us that while we were yet sinners. I mean, some people will die for a, a really good person, and even though that would be rare. But Jesus said, I'm going to die for that joker, even though he's a punk. And he was talking about Jonathan, he wasn't talking about me. But I'm a joker too, and he died for me. And so we can trust him. Him, He loves us. We can trust His goodness. Three, keep our hope. In light of the torn veil, keep our hope. Verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Keep your hope. Jesus did go to great lengths. He demonstrated His love for us by dying on the cross. So don't abandon that sacrifice. Keep your hope, okay? Never waver in that faith. God will never leave you nor forsake you. So keep your hope. Let's keep our hope in Jesus. Four. All right, let's look at this. Motivate others to do good and love. Verse 24 says, again, in light of the veil, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Are you exhorting others to do what is right? Are you encouraging others to, to share and to show the love of Jesus, to do good works for him? Are you motivating others to good? That's a good question, isn't it? When's the last time you motivated someone to good? I'm good at motivating people to anger, motivating people to give me a good old honk. Are you motivating people to love and good works? Well, in light of the torn veil, in light of our access to the Holy of Holies, that's what we're supposed to do. Think of ways. Have you ever brainstormed a way to motivate someone to do good? Maybe that's a little something we could actually spend some time doing. because according to verse 24 it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. As a church, those are things that we think about often, but you are the church. It's not just up to leadership. What if it was up to you to said, I want to think about motivating someone to good works, to love, to act out uh, act upon, not really out, we're not actors, but to act upon this faith in Christ that we have, this access to God. And then, lastly, in light of the torn veil, we are to worship together. Verse 25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We should never forsake our worship as a body. Today, I get to say, I'm preaching to the choir for those that are here, for those that are online, hear me. I mean, what do I got to lose? You need to be worshiping with your faith family. Can I be so bold enough to say, on screen's not cutting it. It has its purpose. And there is a good purpose for it when you're not able to meet it. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're traveling. Uh, maybe you are have a condition that would lead you to get sick quicker than others. A precondition. It's there, and we use it. And technology can be used. For good, but it can also be used for bad if we then say, you know what, I just don't wanna go. It's easier because I'm not as engaged. And according to the Bible, to the Word of God, there is an importance to being corporately together with your faith family, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank God that some of you are watching. I thank God that you're all watch- watching right now. And virtually that can help, but if you're able to, it makes a whole lot of sense to get together to give an elbow bump to Matt. All right, that's as close as I'm getting to Matt, but I gave him an elbow bump, all right? But to be with each other, and I know we live in a crazy time right now. It is, it's crazy. It's unprecedented for sure. And we're trying to figure this thing out together and no one's perfect, all right? It's been months though, and I can tell you there's something special about being together. We wanna be cautious, we wanna be smart with it, but we wanna make sure that we're not neglecting our meeting Together, we have no excuses. Okay, the veil has been torn. We have access to God, and so we approach Him with boldness and with the anticipation that He will meet us. The blood of Jesus has set us free, and so I wanted to end today in a unique way. I'm going to ask Jeremy to come, Jonathan, if if you're also going to help us with this. I want us to do one more song of praise, and I want this to be our moving into God's presence. We don't need, uh, we have a big curtain here today, by the way. And and I don't know if that would help you, but that would be an image of a veil. I don't see any cherubim, but we can imagine today. Now, I think the why would be very upset if we tore that from top to bottom. But if there was a holy place and a most holy place, we're in the most holy place. We have access to God. Jesus' sacrifice took down that veil and curtain. But let's say even one was put up today. We on the right side. We have access to God. And so let's approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you if there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless.